0: Great to see everyone here tonight. I'm certainly glad to be here. I've had a great day with um, Alan and Daryl. I enjoyed um, Everett and Miss Judy and uh, Dylan. I'm certainly glad to be here. Glad Miss Gail, too. Don't want to leave her out. But uh, we've had a great day. I hope you've had a great day and we're able to close it in worship to you. Uh, Now, the majority of the rest of the Californians watching the Lakers game, but I presume most of you have TiVo, so all is well. But uh, I'm glad you're here tonight. Somebody I joked and said, "Well, we might need to put them on the prayer list." The way things were looking, somebody said, "I won't object." But uh, I'm just kidding. I like to, uh, I like for people to smile. But I'll tell you this: the smiling that I want you to do is because you're in the kingdom of God and you're safe and your child's, uh, you're God's child. In Matthew seven, the scariest words in all the Bible. Jesus, if you can imagine it for just a moment, um, is reclining. The Bible said we often think of him sitting down. He's reclining. He's on a little knoll, a little mount. Uh, There weren't big mountains like you have in this area or this country around here. Uh, But he's sitting on a knoll and people began to kind of fill in around him. And You can just imagine, uh, I think about a principal that would address the whole elementary school and all these kids, all these people are just kind of filtering around and they're following him because, remember, he is healing people. Now I'm not talking about the the fake miracles like you see on TV. You know how I know those are fake miracles? Because any preacher that loved people and wanted to help people and had this power would go shut down children's hospitals and would get people up out of hospital beds and out of cancer institutes and you name it. That's what would happen. But that's not what happens, is it, in modern day? Well, Jesus did do that. Jesus could restore people. Jesus would go in every city and village and when he would show glad tidings of the kingdom of God, it was amazing. People would listen to him and they would hear the voice of one that spoke to them with authority and power. Not as the self-proclaiming, self-praising scribes that love nothing more than to hear themselves talk. If you've ever sat in very many college classes, you forever will hear people sometimes that just like to hear themselves talk. When Jesus talked, it meant something. When Jesus came into your city and village, it was not to have some sort of a show. But sadly it turned into that for a lot of people. It was the message of the hour. It was the message of salvation. It was the message of repentance. It was the message of the kingdom is coming. It was a powerful, it was an important, it was urgent. And so he sits down. He's tired. He's just like you and me. You work all day, you talk to people all day you try to work with people all day it's one of the most stressful things you'll ever do and he sits down and he begins to teach and in one uh, 30 minute sitting you can read the sermon on the mount as we call it it just happened to be when jesus was sitting down and taught them some of the greatest christian teachings that will ever be written ever known some of the greatest teachings of all time because they were written by the creator of the universe The very catalyst in creation, according to Colossians chapter 1. So he sits down to speak. And he opens up with some very important things. Blessed are the pure in heart, for example. For they shall see God. And on and on he went. He taught them things about how to live in the kingdom. He taught them about how the life of the Pharisees and the Jewish religion had really fostered a a horrible sentiment of what religion was really about. It was not as they had it. It was change, and I want to tell you, I don't know anybody today that can look at the teachings of Jesus and not say that wherever Jesus taught, whatever he taught, he, it was like he, 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 Jesus literally, as it were, sailed around an island, and the island was man, all of us. And wherever he landed, that's what was needed. And that's the purpose of, of teaching the Word of God. You preach what's needed. Well, Jesus taught the needs of the hour, both then and for now. And he said this passage in Matthew 7. Listen to what he said. The scariest words to me from the mouth of the Savior. Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But he who does the will of my Father, which is in heaven. Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not prophesied in your name Cast out demons in your name and done many wonders in your name. Verse 23 of Matthew 7. Then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Of all the passages in the Bible, that one gives me great heart palpitations. And I'll tell you why. You know in our culture today in the american culture if you're sincere then then you're in good shape with american culture that's how it goes that's how we are well he tried she tried well let me tell you something don't just try do it don't just make your own attempt and create your own experience As modern self-help and psychologists and pop psychologists say, create your own experience. And I understand you got to go out and work hard and sometimes take care of yourself and do some things. That's not what I'm talking about. Jesus created the experience we're supposed to have. God has a will for the kind of experience we're supposed to have. And if we have any other experience, it's an experience that leads us away from Jesus. And that's what he's talking about here. A lot of people have a religious experience, but that experience leads them away from doing the will of God. Do you know what decon rat poison is? Sure you do. If you got those little critters that make your wife jump up on the chair and then straddle you like a baby as you carry her out to the car, not putting her feet on the ground, you'll know what decon rat poison is. It's a self-help agent to keep your wife in your house. You know what decon rat poison really is? It's 99.05, or 99 point, let's see, 99.95 I believe it is, non-harmful to anybody. It's, it's, it's good stuff, like corn, and it's a mixture of all kinds of components, and some uh, sticky glue type stuff. Rats just love it. Do you know what it is that gets the rat? It's that .05 of that 16-cylinder word that none of us can pronounce, that some geek put a lab coat on, looked through a microscope and said that's what it is. That's what kills the rat, not the good stuff. And tonight if I come into your life and I tell you, follow Jesus, love Jesus, look what he's done for you, and you grab a hold of that and you start living the life, and then you get to a roadblock and you say, you know what, The, the Bible says this, but I don't really want to do that, and I say to you, that's all right, don't worry about it. Just do the best you can. Just do what. Just try hard, and it'll all work out. Jesus completely says, it's not going to work out. It's not going to just work out. When you pick up this book, Jesus stained every page with blood. Every page matters. The Holy Spirit filled men and spent their lives preaching and writing down this word so you can have it in 2010 as you sit in an air-conditioned building in 100 degree outside and listen to this gospel preached in a land that does not have any laws that prohibit us from worshiping publicly and preaching on TV and radio. People gave their lives for the words of this book. And so Jesus made a premium on it when he said, not everyone that saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. I want to ask you tonight, are you doing the will of the Father in heaven? Because tonight I'm going to invite you to the kingdom of God. I'm going to invite you to come to the kingdom for just a little while. And know what it is to say, I'm doing the will of the Father. Before we go further, we have a great privilege to pray at this time. Throughout the teachings of Jesus in Matthew 5, 6, and 7, I want you to understand Jesus was teaching the people the difference and what life would be like in the kingdom. He taught about seeking God. He taught about seeking the right things. He taught about changing people's lives. He taught about changing their motives. He put motive. He put heart on trial. He put our thoughts on trial. But at the end of it all, the reality of our life is that if we're going to be pleasing and come to the King of kings and Lord of lords, we are going to have to be a people that are willing to obey Him. Three things that I intend to prove throughout this, uh, and I want to list them real quickly. Uh, God's will, God's will, Is Number one we all understand what number one is In just a little while the Lakers or the Celtics are all going to lift their finger and they're going to say number one whoever wins it is going to say number one well God says in our lives he wants to be number one and I want to go further and explain that in just a second if I enter heaven uh, I must obey and that's what I'm going to put here I must obey and the third thing I'll put on here is don't disobey. My mother had a famous saying that went, Don't disobey me! Something along those lines. And the reason why is it had to be a very emphatic point. It was, it, it was a family rule, for example. In our family you don't bring your dirty, nasty, gritty, filthy clothes, feet, shoes, nothing in this house after I've mopped it. That was a, that was a rule, so to speak. Well, God is simply saying, Listen, Cullen, you have sins, You have mistakes, you have shortcomings that literally are not coming in my house. Not coming there. And what God asks of us when we come to the kingdom is very simple. Jesus was asked the question, what is the greatest commandment of all? They tried to trap him. Jesus said, love God, heart, soul, and mind. That's the first. The second is, love your neighbor as yourself. I I want to illustrate this as carefully as I possibly can. If I come and I live and I put God's will first and I choose to obey it and I choose not to disobey it, in other words, I live by it and I do everything that he says, what is my life going to be like? Let's get this straight. Here's how it goes. So in other words, if I have my vertical relationship with God, right, what is everything else about my life going to be, what's it going to be like? Guess what? If I have a vertical relationship right with God, my horizontal relationship to everyone that I touch and everyone that I come in contact with gets better. means I'm a better person. It means I'm going to be a better family member. It means I'm going to be a better husband. It means someone's going to be a better wife. It means we're going to be better kids. We're going to be better siblings. We're going to have better families. You want a family to break down? Forget about what Jesus taught in Matthew 5, 6, and 7 and do it your own way and see how well it works. Jesus gave us illustrations of when our vertical relationship, when we are totally committed to put God's will number one, everyone else around us, Receives benefits from that people around you ought to be blessed by your existence And if people around you are sucked dry and they're miserable and you're mean and nasty Let me tell you something there is no vertical relationship with God. It ain't there I may sit in a church pew and I may call on God and I may say Jesus is my Savior But everybody around me ought to benefit from my life and if they don't there's a problem with me Because the people who know Jesus Blessed everyone around them. They changed lives. They changed towns. They literally turned cities upside down. So let's rip into this. In Luke 6 and verse 46, the Bible says, But why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say? Jesus obviously wanted us and his Father's will to be number one. He wanted us to obey and he illustrated disobedience in the life of religious people. They called him Lord, Lord. They they thought what they were doing was in good shape. It wasn't. Why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say? Some of the saddest conversations in all that that I can ever imagine are uh, from kids that have to go through some really rough times with their family. And... I know some kids right now that are going through divorce situations and their parents are using them as pawns. And one will try to buy a kid off by saying you can do whatever you want while the other parent says I'll buy you whatever you want. And the end of it all you see young people that are literally ripped apart. And you find kids that years later, look into the eyes of their parents when their parents try to utter the words, I love you, and they say, no, you don't. If you loved me, you never would have put me through that. We put God on a different level so many times. We don't like to think about God having that same response. Jesus had the same response Why call ye me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say? Why do we call Him Lord? Because He's in charge. He's the one that can make the winds and the sea obey. He's the one that can heal. He's the one that can restore. He's the one that can put things back together. We want to connect with Him, but He says, listen, the connection connection is dependent upon the reality of whether or not you internalize my will. You have to internalize my will. The first thing I want to say tonight about coming to the kingdom is we have to accept we have to accept the king's offer and it is an offer. It's an offer and an acceptance situation. The grace-filled offer was given by the king of kings and lord of lords. How do I receive this? How do I accept this? Jesus said we obey, we do the will of the father. So I understand this. I get it now. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven is nigh. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven. How do we get into the kingdom of heaven? That's where salvation is. Except a man be born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. It is an offer. It's an entrance. How do I do that? We have to accept the king's offer. Do the father's will. Do the will of my father. It's vital to understand the offer is from God. The offer is powerful. It is full of love. We put this up here last night. The offer is full of grace. Ephesians 2 8 and 9 says, We are saved by grace through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. It's by love. God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believed in him should not uh, perish, but have everlasting life. I love what Joe Hassel says about that. It's not, it's not what Billy Graham said one time in a huge revival. He quoted John 3, 16 and said, shall not perish. And that's not what it says. It says should not perish. And I want to tell you something. If you go to hell and you believe that Jesus is who he said he was, you shouldn't have gone to hell. Should not perish. In Hebrews chapter uh, 8 and verse 12, the Bible speaks about this offer uh, being full of mercy. So it's an offer of love and grace and mercy. Who's that offer to? That offer is to people like me, people like you. The offer is to everyone. Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, he would say. But there has to be a response. Somewhere, somewhere there has to be a response from every single heart. God does not come into your life and grab you by the head and say, I'm choosing you whether you want me to choose you or not. He never has done that and he won't do it god says here's my invitation here's who i am how do we know who god is look at jesus jesus said if you've seen me you've seen the father i don't know about you but when i read about who jesus was it is humbling it is soul-stirring it is amazing and when we choose god we're going to choose him from the heart with the heart the confession is made or with the mouth confession is made but it comes from the heart but this offer this offer of love and grace and mercy must be accepted it has to be the jews didn't accept it they looked at uh, around them when he beheld the city of jerusalem and jesus said as i can imagine tears rolling down his face The old prophet Isaiah said that Jesus was a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. One of the great griefs of his life is that people rejected him. They misunderstood him. They wanted to make him an earthly king, such as John 6 and 15, when he would make out of five loaves and two fish enough to feed lots of folks. They came after him for loaves and fishes, and he was very upset about that. But I want to tell you, when people walked away from him, it upset him. He would look at Jerusalem and say, Oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, thou which killest the prophets and stonest them which were sent unto thee, how often would I have gathered thee as a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but ye would not. What did their heart say? We don't accept you. What did their heart say? Their heart said, No thanks. I preach now for 10 years. Full-time or part-time for 10 years now. Gave my first sermon when I was 19. Certainly wasn't preaching for a few years till after that, I can assure you. But I have sat and looked in the eyes of people that attended worship services. I've studied with people. I've sat on bed with people that were dying. And some of the saddest things in all the world are when people tell me, if you're going to talk to me about that, I'm not interested. But that's what the Jews did. We have to accept the offer from the king. A young family had three children. The youngest of those children developed a serious blood disorder that required transfusions. Their oldest boy was five and he was a perfect blood match. He was asked and soberly agreed to the task of giving some blood to his younger sibling. A few minutes into the transfusion, the little boy looked into his daddy's eyes and asked, "Daddy." Do you think it will hurt to die? He thought he was giving everything. He thought he was dying for his sibling. When you read stories like that, it makes us sit and pause and imagine a child willing to lay down their life. That's an amazing occurrence. I want to ask you very quickly there may be some people you would would lay down your life for, but how about your child? How 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 would you do with that? How about guys like Timothy McVeigh that was involved in the 1993 Oklahoma City bombing that killed so many people? One of our first terrorist attacks on American soil that literally rocked this nation If you've ever been to Oklahoma City and gone through that spot where that happened and gone through the museum Literally, I, I have chills rolling down my spine right now as I can remember the chilling moment the markers that sit outside, the monuments and the articles of clothing, and you look at the man who did such atrocities against people that were not responsible for the object of his anger, but yet they died anyway. Would you give your child for Timothy McVeigh? What about Jeffrey Dahmer, who killed several young boys? He had problems with homosexuality. Literally eight body parts. It was a horrific moment in American history. What about the Green River Killer? What about that guy with the swastika on his forehead, that crazy loon that y'all have locked up somewhere out here named Charles Manson that killed the Tate family and wrote Blood on Walls in horrific moments? Get those pictures in your mind because we often think about those guys and they ought to be locked up or, or dead. They ought to have the express lane to the gas chamber or the electric chair, and certainly not alive, eating and breathing in good health. Those are many times the reactions we have. I don't know anybody that would give their children for the latest inmates at San Quentin. I don't know anybody that would do that. Do you? Yet the Bible says in Romans 5 and 6, For when we were still without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. Do you know the word that needs to be beside me? It needs to be the word ungodly. Part of the reason why Jesus just blistered the religious elite of the day is because they exalted themselves as religious elitists and as if they were holy. Listen. Listen. I'm not holy and you're not holy of my own accord. The only holiness I will ever be able to identify with is the holiness that is in Christ Jesus and through His forgiveness. And don't you ever forget it. As the old saying goes, we get too big for our britches sometimes and we think a little more of ourselves than we ought to think. And that's why pride is one of the greatest soul killers of all time. But that's not all he said. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man some would even dare to die. But God demonstrates His own own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. I have watched on History Channel and on C-SPAN on Memorial Day as men who fought specifically in World War II, and now more specifically in Vietnam. Men that have some age, men that have gray hair and have children and grandchildren, and in some cases, great-grandchildren, as they go to the spot of some graves, and they're the graves of men that died in battle in whatever war it was. The ones that are the most touching to me are the ones where men will go to the wall, that great wall in Washington, where some 53,000 names are etched in marble in a great edifice that captures the imagination and the wonder. 53,000 lives died in some far-flung place in Vietnam. A war that many didn't believe in, a war that there was much political conflict, but for the soldiers that were on the ground, They literally had each other. As you hear the interviews and as you read the books, they had family there. They had each other. And it's an electric thing whenever you see a guy come toward a wall and his eyes begin to get misty as he gets a little bit closer and as he gets a little bit closer. And it's almost like electricity runs through his body as he reaches up and he puts his hand and his finger on a specific name and literally falls to his knees in tears. Unashamedly weeping, not able to rise as his memory is flooded by the things that happened. And when interviewed, when asked about why he was so upset, would say, That's the guy that threw himself on a grenade and saved my life. That's the guy. We identify with that, we hear those stories, it moves us, and then somehow in 2010 the world can go on by and walk right past the cross and literally it's as if Jesus threw himself, he did, throw himself on the sins of the whole world, on my sins and on yours. And every Lord's Day when his memorial is set, every Lord's Day, so many people have to be begged invited. We ought to have to have a line at the door for people that can't wait to get in to this memorial because it's the greatest memorial of all time. It's the memorial of Jesus Christ and what He did for us. In history, men die for presidents. Men die for kings. Men die for rulers. Our King died for us. And that changes the game. That changes everything. It changes everything. The one who knew your name before you were ever created saw a need that you could not fill in yourself, and he took care of it on the cross. That's power, and that's planning, and that's execution. None of us can even put our finger on to grasp. And when God saw that need, he was willing to do it. That's, you are that important to God. You are that valuable to God. That's a huge concept that people have to understand when we start talking about accepting the king's offer. John said, herein is love, not that we love God. How pitiful is our love to God so many times? But that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. One verse, we said it last night. In Hebrews 5 and 9, the Bible says, He became the author of eternal salvation unto all those that obey Him. The king's offer is simple. It is a foundation built upon faith. Hebrews 11 and 6 says, Without faith it is impossible to please Him. For he that cometh to God must believe that He is and that He is a rewarder of those who diligently, and I might put this right over here, those who diligently seek him. Are you a seeker? Are you seeking God for the needs you can't fill in your own life? Are you seeking God for the answer to your problem called sin? If you are, I've got some good news. The King's offer is still available today. It's still available for all of us, but based upon our faith we're willing to change our life and repent as Jesus taught in Luke 13 and 3. Confess the sweet name of Jesus, that he is the Son of God, as the Ethiopian eunuch did in Acts 8 and verse 37. And we allow ourselves to be immersed in water for the remission of our sins. That's the king's offer that he authored. Every single one of these things was an offer written or revealed by Jesus himself. No man came up with this. And I don't believe any man has the right to say, you don't have to change your life. You don't have to confess Jesus as the Son of God. Or you don't have to be baptized for the remission of your sins. Yet many men do. I find pamphlets in restrooms and phone booths and on my door half the time that tell me a variety of ways that I can be saved. And if I'm ignorant, if I'm not informed at all, and I think, well, that sounds good to me, then I'm the very picture of what Jesus said. Many will say to me that, Lord, Lord, and I don't know them. Because if you want to accept the king's offer, you better dead sure make it's the offer from the king himself and not some counterfeit offer. It's the offer from Jesus. Jesus said, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved. Once you're saved, the Bible says He has delivered us from the power of darkness. He has delivered us from the power of darkness and has conveyed us or translated us into the kingdom of the Son of His love, in whom we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins. Obedience, obedience says yes. Disobedience says no. How do I prove that? In Romans six seventeen, after Paul had given his great treatise on the death, burial, and resurrection, he said, "But God bethink that ye were the servants of sin; you used to be in darkness, but you have obeyed from the heart that form of doctrine which was delivered you, being then made free from sin, ye became the servants of righteousness." Now, have you obeyed the gospel? Have you confessed your faith that Jesus is the Son of God? Have you committed to change your life and your heart? Have you been immersed in water for the remission of your sins in the name of Jesus? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit? If you have not done that, you have not responded to the gospel of Jesus Christ. And if you think you have, I want you to talk to me about that after church. Because what I'm going to need from you is very, very simple. I'm going to need you to open that book that contains all of the will of God Almighty. And I'm going to need you to show me where that will is that allows you to accept the invitation of Jesus Christ some other way than through faith and repentance and confession and baptism because I find no other way in the Word of God. I want to obey the will and I want to accept the offer of Jesus Christ. Obedience to the will of God is simply a sinner saying yes to something he does not deserve. I'll give an example. Now, I'm not real sure, but uh, 99 goes down a ways, and what is that road, Daryl? that goes over to Hatch P down to Barstow? What is that road? 58. So you catch 99 to 58, and you get on 40 right there at Barstow, don't you? If you take 40, now think about this. I've got 10 trillion dollars. Let's just make it 100 trillion. I've got 100 trillion dollars, at 2858 New London Road. Let's see how this works, okay? I've got $100 trillion. Our national debt is something like 12 now, I think. That's a lot of money. I've got 100 trillion, 100 million trillion or bajillion, whatever you want to do, I've got it at 2858 New London Road in Strong, Arkansas, zip code 71605. Now, don't get up out of your seats and go there yet. Let me finish the illustration. You get on 99, go to 58, Catch 40, go to 40 all the way to Amarillo, Texas. Take 287 south down through Wichita Falls. You take it through Fort Worth. you go over the river and through the woods, almost to grandmother's house. Then you catch I-20 and you take that east. You take I-20 east until you get to 167 north. All right? Take 167 north until you get to 82 East. Take 82 East till you come to the big town of Strong, population 767. Go to the big new Dollar General that's up there, which is the best thing in town, right across from Teddy Bears, which happens to be our gas station. Turn left, go past 58 log trucks about four and a half miles down the road. A chain link fence is there. Turn left. It's a gravel little driveway. There's a little pond there. And you'll see on the back porch there's a key up there just behind or over the light. Get that key, open the door, and there's a hundred bajillion trillion dollars just for you. Did you earn it? Can you earn a hundred bajillion trillion dollars? No, you can't earn it. It's a gift. I'm giving it to you. It's there. Go get it. I'm offering it to you. That's a lot further, and that's something you're going to have to think about and write down and really spend some time on. The offer of Jesus is he died, he was buried, and he rose again. History records it. It's a fact. It's a reality. That either produces faith in you or you're an unbeliever. You have to decide if you're going to change and follow Jesus. Confess him as the Son of God and be baptized for the remission of your sins. And it's a much greater gift than any hundred trillion, pajillion dollars I could give you. You just simply follow the directions to the gift. That's what obedience does. You follow the directions to the gift. Saying yes to King Jesus is the greatest thing you will ever do. In John 10 27, Jesus said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Now that's pretty clear. I love that passage. You know what else I love about it? He doesn't stop. And I give them eternal life. What do you mean? You mean if I obey, I'm following Jesus, I'm not earning? Absolutely not. You're not earning anything. My sheep hear my voice, they follow me, and I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. Let me tell you, there is no demon, there is no angel, there is no man, there is no government that can ever separate you from the love of Christ when you're following Christ. They don't exist. The atom bomb, Hiroshima, Nagasaki, you name it, you've never seen a power up beside the unseen powers of God And the point he's making is he will never allow you to be overtaken by anyone spiritually. The second thing I'll say very quickly. My last two points are brief. Except the fact you are under the king's law. You are under law. Jesus did not want the disciples or the principle of obedience to be lost. He went on in Matthew 7 verse 24. He said, Therefore... Whoever hears these sayings of mine and does them, I will liken him to a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the rain descended and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house and it did not fall for it was founded on the rock. Verse 26. But everyone who hears these sayings of mine and does not do them, the disobedient, number three, will be like a foolish man who built his house on the sand And the rain descended, and the floods came, and the winds blew, and beat on that house, and it fell, and great was its fall. Now, I don't know about you, but I've always thought it was a very strange thing, and I'm not picking on people from California when I say this. There's some people that build their house on some pretty steep hills around here, and I think to myself, I sure hope that has some pillars down to rock. And, of course, during a big mudslide, you know what happens. The houses fall off and they go down and all the rest of us back east say, Oh, those crazy people from California. And you laugh whenever a tornado goes through and sweeps up every trailer park in the eastern part of the United States and say, "Ha, those crazy people back east. I understand how it goes. But what Jesus said here was, You better make sure you have a foundation that is rock solid. Let me tell you something. If you're living by a life law other than the Word of God, you're not living a rock-solid life. If you look at the Bible and you say, I want to live by what the Bible says, you're living off what uh, an old preacher said one time was a rock-ribbed Bible truth. And that just meant it was foundation. You're not building on things that shift, on things that change. Jesus said, the word of God will make you a disciple and free you from sin. Jesus answered and said, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word in John 14, 23. If I claim I love Jesus and don't keep his word, I'm a liar. Keep his word. Keeping the will of God is absolutely vital. When you keep the will of God, your heart's going to change. It's like a filter. You ever drank water before that was nasty? If you haven't, go to San Angelo, Texas sometime. I lived there for a while. The water's brown. Wichita Falls wasn't much better, and now I'm in Strong, Arkansas, and the new London Water Association pipes it straight out of the Washita River, and I assure you bottled water is your favorite drug of choice. I know what a good filter is. You get the Brita water filter, and you put it in there, and all of a sudden the magic charcoal thing takes that nasty brown water, and before long, you're drinking beautiful, perfect water. That's what the Word of God does in your heart. Peter would say, you have purified your hearts through unfeigned love of the brethren when he said, you have kept the Word of God. That's a powerful thing. Jesus wanted our hearts to change. Think about the golden rule in Matthew 7 and 12 therefore whatever you want men to do to you do also to them for this is the law and the prophets do unto others as you would have them do unto you you do good to people all the time it is a positive law but he also added he said enter ye into the straight gate for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction and there are many who go in by it because narrow is the gate And difficult is the way which leads to life, and there are few who find it. Most people are going to disobey. My question to you is, how convicted and convinced are you that you need to live by what Jesus said totally and completely? Because I want to tell you, if there's a crack in that armor and you say, Well, yeah, but I still like to kind of do my own thing sometimes. Well, that's a broad way of thinking. It promises so much happiness, which the Bible just calls the pleasures of sin that only last for a season. But so many people get suckered into number three, and they forget about number two, even though Jesus required it of all of us. The third thing I'm going to say when you come to the kingdom is, you act like the king. All my life I heard Linwood Smith tell the story about the little boy at one time that was an orphan. And the king's chariot came by and he was playing with all the other little boys, but he didn't have anybody to take care of him. And so the king saw him and he was very malnourished and he had no clothes. And the king stopped his chariot and said, Would you like to come home with me? And the little guy climbed right up in the chariot with him, went home. The king had all of his servants wash him up and clean him up. He adopted him as his own son, gave him a name and a title. He was now prince. He had a robe and a ring and shoes. He had people that saw to his every need, took care of him in every way. One day the king saw the little boys. He was sitting on the corner of the gates, as it were, of the wall. And he was looking out in the far distance at his old friends, at his old mud hole that he used to play in and swim in. And his father, the king, came up and put his arm on him and said, Do you miss it? Do you want to go back? And he looked for a moment and very thoughtfully said, I used to. But then I remembered... That I'm the king's son, and king's sons don't play in mud holes. So many times our lives invite us to take a hiatus. We just, for a moment in time, we're going to go do our own thing. We're going to do what we want to do. We're going to sin, in other words. We're going to wallow in the mud hole. And we forget we are children of the King of kings and Lord of lords. And there are certain obligations that go along with that. We are supposed to reflect the light of our king. And our king is Jesus. As long as I am in the world, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. In John 9 and 5. Yet in Matthew 5, 14, he said, You are the light of the world, a city that is set on a hill which cannot be hidden. In verse 16, he would give that famous verse, Let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. When you act like Jesus... You glorify God and you bring glory to God. Why is that? Because when your relationship with God is great, you're a blessing to other people and the works of your hand scream they're a child of the king. And when you're blessing God and bringing honor to God, you're living the greatest life you could ever imagine. It's the very purpose for your existence. It's what your greatest task is on a daily basis. And it's not a job, it's a privilege. It's an honor. Shine like the king. We're a reflection of him. Paul said, for you were once darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Tonight I close with the invitation of Jesus. Jesus gave an invitation. Jesus offered many invitations. The Revelator would close the book of Revelation with the Spirit and the bride say, come. In Matthew chapter 11 and verse 28, Jesus said, Come unto me, all ye that labor and are heavy laden. I will give you rest. Make no mistake about it. Jesus is the one that will give you rest if you have rest. And the way you're going to have rest is to accept His offer. He wants you. He invites you. We thank you for listening to our podcast put on by the Church of Christ at 2215 Plans Road in Bakersfield. If you would like any additional information or you would like to receive a free Bible correspondence course by mail, please email us at info at churchofchristbakersfield.com. Our service times are Sundays at 1030 a.m. and 5 p.m and Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. Please make plans to join us. We would love for you to be our honored guest.